Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Day one of the Smart Driving Cars Summit at Princeton, the third annual. Congratulations on putting this together, Alan. Uh, I guess uh, uh, we had to go to Plan B just a few minutes ago, but it is going on. Uh, and we had a great welcome reception last night. And actually, uh, the content today was uh, was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I sat mesmerized uh, uh, for essentially all the presentations. And part of the focus here is on mobility for all. And joining us is one of the participants here at the summit, Anil Lewis, Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives at the National Federation of the Blind. Thank you for joining us, Anil. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. I don't know what the catalyst was to get us in, got engaged and involved, but I'm really pleased to be here. Well, we can tell you. Go ahead, uh, Fred. Uh, we did, we, we did, a, we did a, a, a podcast at CES with your president. Mark oh, and right. and Mark so Carbono, yeah yes. and and it went really well and I I mentioned to Mark that we were doing this and actually you know thinking back in January it really was the beginning of of me uh, redirecting this uh, in this direction and so he was he was very inspiring and and <clears throat> and made the point as you did today that in fact look if we do this early it may be easy if we tried to do it late. Who knows? I yeah. mean, right? We, we appreciate the opportunity being at the table, and I, I love the fact that this group kind of gets it, that the, the more diverse voices that are in this discussion, the better the outcoming uh, product. And we've heard, heard from a variety of voices uh, so far today and much more to come. But tell us what your perspective is, Anil, uh, when it comes to this technology and what it might mean for the many, many people who could use these services. Absolutely. To be very honest, it's a, it's a selfish perspective. It's a selfish desire, not only for me, but for the 50,000 members of the National Federation of the Blind. We want to be able to access transportation just as dynamically as someone that's sighted. And the technology is evolving to a place where that's actually going to be uh, possible in the very near future. So our big goal is to make sure that we overcome one of the largest uh, problems that people that are blind and low vision have, and that's the transportation issue. So people say that public transportation is available. The ride-sharing option you know, is a very dynamic way of meeting that need, and it's more cost-effective than taxis. But still, there's not that equivalent use of, uh, that equivalent access being able to right now make, make a decision that, you know what, I'd like to go down to the store. You know, or if I'm on a job, you know, and I need to step away to deal with the family emergency. Those are the types of things that we're looking at, that same deliberate access to transportation that everyone else has so that we can continue our goal of being competitive, fully contributing members of society. And the message is we want to be in on the ground floor. We want to help yes. build this. Why is that so important? And even beyond that, not that we want to, we want you to recognize that there's value in having us participate in the ground floor because as we introduce non-visual access technologies into the mainstream, that not only results in a product that's more usable for me and other blind people, but evidence has already shown that it makes a better product for everyone. Uh, case in point, everybody's using GPS now. Nobody reads maps or street signs anymore. But even when you're using your GPS, rather than reading a map on the phone, what do they do? They listen to the directions. Who started that? Our cry for having audio information at GPS system. And now it's helpful for everybody. 
Absolutely, and I was there because I have Pioneer, the turn-by-turn uh, -turn nav systems, and of course that's exactly what we did and put it in there. And who really looks at a map anymore? It tells you just to head turn right. If you can see the right turn, you're good, but, but actually having that voice input in there is absolutely critical because you don't want to take your eyes off the road. And in some sense, you want to be blind to the uh, GPS system, you know, <laughs> absolutely. No, of course. I mean, absolutely. So, what else might need to be incorporated into these automated vehicles? If, if say, a ride-sharing type vehicle, Ollie, for instance, is, is showing off a vehicle here. Mm -hmm. Well, the Ollie from the local motors group, they, they are taking a comprehensive perspective on meeting the needs of a variety of different disabilities, from blindness to deafness, integrating things like digital. Uh, um, avatars that do ASL for deaf people and, and uh, vocal reminders for individuals with cognitive disabilities. So I appreciate that. But they also recognize that by doing those things, they're also helping other individuals. I know when I was sighted catching the bus, my, my attention would be distracted and I would miss my bus stop. So it, it would be beneficial to me to have something to say, this is your stop, Anil, time to get off. So it helps people with cognitive disability. Maybe I have a cognitive disability, but it helps everybody. Yeah, we all need that on the yeah. subway, for instance. <laughs> exactly. You need those reminders. Exactly. You need that. You need to be reminded. I, I needed to be reminded who was speaking next today. So <laughs> anyway, yes, of course. Uh, and it's... Uh, and to do it in the beginning is just is is the right time to do it, and it doesn't cost anything. I mean, why not bring everybody and uh, at the, bring everybody to to the table and and just listen to them? Uh, my goodness, it's easy. And specifically to your question of what what do I suggest specifically? Uh, now is the time. This is that time to throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. So not to make those decisions early on because everybody should be throwing ideas out there. That's where the creative process really is at its best when you have so many options to choose from in order to come up with the best decision. So I, I've, you know, uh, specified some things I'd like to see, and I hope that every member of our organization gets an opportunity to have their voice through us in this particular process and other people as well. You know, Alan and I talked about it in a recent podcast, but... Volkswagen has become a partner and is really trying to get out front on this. Tell us about the partnership. Well, that's been beautiful. Volkswagen actually came to the National Federation of Buying National Office in Baltimore. We sat and had a very robust discussion. And the beauty of it is all of them are really fresh, you know, from that perspective of they don't come in with any pre-existing notions of what should happen. So our feedback to have them think from scratch, you know, that this is a clean whiteboard, uh, really resonated with them. And they've taken uh, the initiative, and I like the way they're also doing it very methodical to start integrating even more of those discussions as we move forward. So, And that's also expanded into other discussions around accessibility throughout Volkswagen. They're working on an accessible wayfinding app that they've consulted on and so on, and we're hoping that they, this small group that's working on the autonomous vehicles will infect the whole corporate structure so they can work on accessibility in a broader fashion. So that's what I'm really loving about Volkswagen right now. Alan, I'm going to pose this to both of you. Tell me how important you think these communities are in the overall picture in making all of this real, in bringing autonomous vehicles and smart driving cars in, in the interim onto public roadways. Well, I, I think it's, they're absolutely critical. This is what we should be doing in the beginning. This is the reason to do it. If, if we're going to spend all the money and all the effort to get the driverless, which creates the, the, the mobility machine that can go out there and just provide trips just from 
whatever the, we're within the domain, maybe not everywhere, but within a domain from here to there, doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock and provide those trips. That's the value proposition. It's a value proposition that, that can come and it has the greatest value to the to the folks who have been who have been left behind by the existing technology. They're the ones it's not their fault, it's the fault of the technology that, that hasn't served them. And now we would have the opportunity opportunity to serve them. And and one of the points that you made that I was going to repeat that I thought was so valuable. Okay, some people suggest that all of a sudden this is going to increase vehicle miles traveled because some people who didn't have the opportunity to travel now have the opportunity to travel. I can't see worried how, about congestion from that. Well, right? I can't see how anybody can make that with a straight face. What do you mean? What's put you first? Who gave you the right to consume this this capacity first and put all these other folks behind? Wait a minute, yo! I mean, did you really say that? I mean, and we're all paying the taxes for the roads, I mean, et cetera, yes, right? Yeah, is, yeah. We are look, every, every everybody should have the opportunity to have a high quality of life, and you know, and and that doesn't mean staying in your parents' basement playing video games. It, mobility. Mobility is, 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 is perfectly correlated with quality of life, okay? The reason we go anyplace is to improve our quality of life by definition. You're here because you wanted to be here. You're not, I, we didn't, nobody forced you. You wanted to be here. Gee, my, 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 and my goodness, if you wouldn't, to, to, to now put, put hurdles in front of you and, and, and impediments and not let you get here and then feel good about it, we didn't let you get here because we didn't, you didn't consume any congestion. I mean, are you, yeah. are you serious? Yeah. I mean, did you really say that? Yeah, that's part of the education. That's part of the awareness that we I'll have to continue. let you expound on that. <laughs> well, one thing I want to explain, we, we've been here and we've done this, right? I mean, there's, there was hus- horses and buggies, yeah. right? So people are saying, no, how are we going to let those metal things uh, yeah. interfere with our... We, we've been here. We've done this. What happens is the technology itself has to prove itself through its value. And I think wholeheartedly the autonomous vehicles, smart cars, et cetera, so many dynamics there that make it much worth the investment. So is it going to be a comfortable transition? No, but disruptive stuff usually is not. But I think at the end of it, we're going to end up with a better infrastructure because we're not only talking about autonomous vehicles here, right? We're talking about smart vehicles. So we've already got technology that says it'll slow down when it's approaching a vehicle that's in front of it. But uh, you know about the pileups. Now cars are going to be talking to one another, and that car that you're riding is not only going to know how close that car is in front of you, but how close those other cars are. So they can realize if there's some congestion at a high speed, that they need to maybe expand the distance between you and the car in front of you so you're not that fifth car in that pileup with someone in the front hits their brakes to. So it's going to be so many dynamics here that makes this so much better for everybody. Anil Lewis, thank you so much for taking the time with us. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Our next guest is Catherine Freund, the founder of ITN America. Catherine, thank you for joining us. And tell us, first of all, for our audience, a little background. This is something you've been involved in now for decades. Yeah, what kind of background would you like? (laughs) Well, tell us what it is. Tell tell our audience what ITN America is about. Okay. Um, ITN America is a national nonprofit transportation network for older people and for people with visual impairment. And how does it work? Describe for us today how people take advantage of your services. 
Okay, well, there's uh, affiliates, uh, and there are 14 in the United States, and those affiliates uh, work with the local community, and people join. Um, and interestingly enough, everybody told me when we had membership that, like, membership is old-fashioned and nobody's going to do it. And then there was Amazon Prime, and I just, <laughs> <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? You know, of course people will do it. People do join organizations. So and you're IGN, kind of tied into this whole free delivery thing in a way, too, yeah. <laughs> delivering people in a sense. <laughs> as, as long as you're working with people and you're working with the kinds of things that matter to people, then uh, you're going in the right direction. And, and having a sense of belonging, having a sense of community, it changes over time, but it doesn't go away. People are people, you know, and so people belong. People join, people support each other, people help. So, so uh, how, how does that work? People join and they, they what, can sign up online or, or, or yeah, where? Yeah, you can sign up online, you, you join. The, it's a service for people over the age of 60 uh, who would like to use uh, uh, the volunteer service and there's also paid drivers there's both kinds of drivers and um, you set up you become a member you set up what's called a personal transportation account um, and you can fund it with cash or you can fund it with if like a lot of older people have an automobile they don't drive anymore and often it sits in their driveway um, and sometimes they visit it uh, but very often when they can't drive, they give it to a grandchild. So we have a program where they can trade that car to pay for their rides if they want to. And they put that equity in their personal transportation account. And when they want to ride, they call up and they schedule it. And a volunteer or a paid driver comes to their door, escorts them to the vehicle if they need an escort, helps them with their seatbelt, helps them fold a walker, helps them carry any packages, takes them where they need to go so it's a service you know and if, if a lot of a lot of older people prefer to drive but there comes a time when they still want to be mobile they still want to go shopping they still want to go to their grandchildren's play they still want to get their hair done but they're not driving anymore then they use ITN and we make sure and that happens kind of systems or even the the senior buses and things like that in some communities, they don't they don't do what everyone needs them to do, right? In terms of getting you where you want to go. I think they do some of it, but I think we have a tendency to think of transportation as sort of uh, unilateral or or you know one kind of category. But there's a lot of different kinds of transportation, and there's a lot of different kinds of transportation needs. So it may be that an older person can use a van that's provided by the senior center for certain kinds of trips, but maybe that's not the trip that's going to take them to get their hair done. Or maybe it's not going to take them to play pinochle. Or maybe it's not going to take, I mean, we have something called the Creative Ride of the Month Award. I mean, we gave someone an award once for scheduling a ride to take his television to the dump, you know? <laughs> I mean, y you have to do all the same things when you're older that you did when you're younger. And if you don't drive, you need a ride to do them. It's, it's not, we have stereotypes about what older people want to do. And I, I got to tell you, you're just the same person. You just look different, you know, but you, you still, you know, I mean, if, if you like chocolate when you were 30, you're going to like chocolate when you're 80, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who are wondering, well, what might be the difference between what you're doing and 
what uh, the new guys on the block, Uber and Lyft, are, are doing today. There, there are some very key differences, right? Well, there are similarities and there are differences. You know, I, I would say, for example, a Greyhound bus is not a school bus. There are a lot of similarities, but they're different, okay? So ITN is a ride in a car, um, and you call for it, and you either get it on demand or you schedule it in advance. Uh, but it, it is uh, different in many important ways. People First of all, people are using an app to do this? or Not now. Not they yet. will be okay. when, we, when we make our technology jump, which is okay. coming. Um, but um, when you pay for a ride for Uber or Lyft, you pay cash and you pay with a credit card. With ITN, you uh, have a personal transportation account. You get in the vehicle and out of the vehicle. No cash changes hands, just like Uber or Lyft, but you get a statement at the end of the month. And you can pay for those rides with cash, or you can have a gift certificate from a family member, or if you patronize a supermarket that is participating with us, they'll help to pay for your ride. Or if you patronize a healthcare provider that's participating, they'll help to pay for your ride, or if you were a volunteer driver for ITN when you were younger and you got credit for your volunteer driving, then when you are older and you can no longer drive, you've already banked your credits and someone else will drive you. That's terrific. It's like, that pay, that, that's what you call paying it forward. That's you, pay it forward. <laughs> you pay it forward, that's so, exactly so right. What have you found in terms of people using their credit? Do they end up using it, or is it like uh, when I buy a gift certificate? Or, I mean, do you know how many gift certificates I have at home that I've never cashed? <laughs> I mean, you know, so gift certificates are sometimes discounted. What, 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 what just the, you had so much data. I just, I did like that. Do you know the number? As to I having, do. Yeah, what and is that? A lot, well, see, the people who volunteer are generally um, fairly affluent. Yeah. And so I just had a conversation about two weeks ago with a man. He called and he asked to speak with me, and I got on the phone, and I really thought this man had passed away. He's 97, and he used to volunteer for us all the time. And I was so happy to talk with him. I really was happy to talk with him. I mean, I meet so many people, and then yeah. you lose them, you know. So I was very, very happy to talk with him, and I said, you know, we've checked, and you've got $1,300 in your account, uh, and we would just be delighted to drive you. And he said, that's really very kind of you. He said, but I can afford to pay for my rides. You just keep that. And by the way, will you come speak to the Rotary? I'd like to call and get you set up as a speaker. And so he wouldn't use his credits. Yeah, yeah, no, I, but he's using the system. Yeah. No. yeah. yeah. So a lot of people don't. Yeah, or they pass it to somebody or something. I'm sure. I'm sure they do that. Hey, look, as you mentioned, people, people want to help. If you ask them properly, if you, if you respect them, you know, people want to be helpful. And what are, you, what are your thoughts about uh, automated vehicle technology and the role that it could play going forward, even with an organization like yours? Well, uh, even though I was an English major, I have to say that I just adore technology uh, because <laughs> I do. I, I do because it can do so much good. Um, and it can help people so much. And it can cr technology creates efficiency. And efficiency means you can do more with less. Uh, so I think the automated vehicles are a fabulous idea, but I think that there are many people who need the assistance of a human being or want a human being near them. And so I think, for example, for, for the, the nonprofit volunteer transportation networks, and, and ITN is only one, you know, I just, 
have been working on a study for Centers for Disease Control to look at senior rideshare across the United States. And I asked them if they would include the volunteer networks. And there were more than 900 networks in our, da in our database. Hmm. Uh, so it, it, it is really moving a lot of people. Um, and I think that the role of the volunteers in those networks is going to continue when the automated vehicles come. I think they're just not going to be the drivers. I think they're going to be the people who, who uh, fold the walkers and the who volunteers who can help people right. to and I get into the building, get yeah. back out, carry That's their right. bags. That's Except right. for the people who live alone, you know, there's usually some people around at the places you go to. You know, if you go to the store, they have people there. They have yeah, people they who take care of uh, shopping carts. So actually, if this, if if more than just a couple people have, they'll have they'll have an attendant there. They'd love to have them at frequenting their store. They're bringing money. They're making money off these people. So of course they're gonna they're gonna I provide agree. their services. I, I agree. I th I think mm -hmm. that people who will assist people with sure. automated vehicles will be common. Right. Be, to get in, get out. Yeah. I, I think they'll be there. Uh, and. Why do they have to ride with them? Because that's that's where you really incur the high expense. You've now had to have this person work for one trip that takes 20 minutes, when in fact they could help 15 people into a vehicle, you know, if they were would have stayed where they are. So I mean, it's it, the economics are really powerful there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, a lot of the in the early days of the volunteer networks, they would call it escorted transportation, right. and they would say, okay, one volunteer will take care of one older person for the entire morning and they will escort them wherever they need to go and I knew that they were escorting them mostly because they didn't know how to figure out logistically how to send them on to the next ride and get them back in time right uh, it's exactly true. what you're sure saying. sure but, but if you if you have the technology there and you have right. the, the capacity to bring them back and somebody else to do it and in the place where they're going to uh, to get their hair cut, there's somebody cutting hair there. Uh, that person can probably help them in the door, okay? And probably be happy about it because they're coming there to get their hair cut and so on. And, and it really just improves their quality of life and it's a way to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You had some great statistics that you that you put up before the, before the crowd here today. Uh, give us a little bit of an overview of how the percentages of people at different age levels who are part of your organization. Um, well, um, I think the most common age of the riders, believe it or not, is 90. Wow. Yeah. And I can't re can you remember the mean and the median? I can't remember them. Yeah, but but the, in the, the mid-80s, right? In the mid-80s. Yeah. It was the mid-80s. And it's... Uh, my goodness, I mean, the, the, the quality of life enhancement that you're providing with this is just, it's marvelous. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, people do like the service. They like it very much. We have people who've been riding with the service for almost 20 years, and, and uh, if you talk to them about it, they will say that a large part of the reason that they have been able to stay in their home is that they have transportation, and they can go where they want to go and do what they need to do. Uh, so yeah, I think it. I think it does. You, help you look at the value of that. I don't know who's run the numbers on that, but that just has to be. Yeah. That's just enormous. Uh, the the cost of of, uh, of of care in a facility. The they try to have it a nice quality of life, but it's. Uh, I can't imagine it's anything like being at home. I mean, you know, really. And then if you have the opportunity to to travel and not be at home. 
24 hours looking at the same damn walls, you know? I mean, it's just, it just must make them just enormous improvement in the quality of life. Just curious, Catherine, the story behind this. You started this, what, 30 years ago? Yeah. How and why? How did this come about? Well, um, all right, I'll talk about this. I have two children. Uh, my son, I'm not exactly sure how old he is. He's in his mid-30s. But when he was three, he was run over by an older driver. And mm. that's how I got involved. Mm. I said, this didn't need to happen. The grandfathers are not supposed to be running over the grandchildren. And how do we fix it? And, and uh uh, you know, I used to think in these terms, there are problems in this world that we don't know an answer to. At that time, one of the big ones was AIDS. We do not know how to fix this. But older people who need transportation, we already know the answer. They need a ride. So all M we Many need people would have just said, oh, we have to start taking the driver's licenses away. You instead looked at this as a problem that needed solving. Well, yeah, I, I don't think you solve problems by telling people what they can't do. Uh, I, I was just intent on solving the problem. You, you said and that I, clearly in the presentation, and at least it struck with me. Of course, it's absolutely, hey, everybody's rational. Everybody does what they want to do, okay? It may not look good to you. It may not look good to somebody else. That's your problem. From their point of view, this is what they want to do. And if it's not what they want to do... Ain't it gonna happen? I know, so I, I'm probably tarnishing my halo and my little feathery white wings by saying this, but I did it the way I did it because I thought it was the best way to solve the problem. You know, helping people make good choices. I would think of it as creating a positive space that they could move forward into themselves, right? right? They could make free choices, they could move forward. They're happy, they have mobility, the community is safe. Uh, they are safe. I mean, the most common person hurt in a crash with an older driver is the older driver. Yeah. No, so, uh, really, I mean, yeah, terrible. They, they feel terrible. Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. 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 So I did it because it was the best way in my thinking to solve the problem. Besides, I really rather feel good than bad, and telling people what they can't do just makes you feel terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm... What can you say after that statement? I mean, that's, that's, yeah, yep. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that with us, Catherine. For, for, for more information, where can our listeners go to? Well, they can go to our website, which is www.itnamerica.org, or they can call our office, which is 207-857-9001. Or they could call my personal number, <laughs> which is... You don't have to do this. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I always do it. I'm not going to give my cell out, though. But it's it's 207-591-6926. And I'll be happy to talk to anybody. I'd be delighted. And again, it's itnamerica.org. Catherine Freund, thank you for joining us on this special edition of the Smart Driving Car podcast from... The Smart Driving Car Summit, the third annual at Princeton University, a special edition. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. <laughs>